Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, we're going to be picking up in Ephesians chapter 2 today. Um, we're working our way through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and talking about what God has done in Christ. And there are not many other places in the Bible that I know of that describe in a, such a succinct and powerful way what God has done mm-hmm. than this paragraph we're about to read in Ephesians 2, 1-10. through 10. Yeah, this is a section of scripture I find myself meditating on a lot. Uh, just because it is something that we can spend a lot of time reflecting on and thinking about the different ways that we are saved and just thinking through the the impact that the cross really had in our lives. So this is a a section that I would encourage you all to meditate on as well, even after this podcast is over. Yeah, just beautiful description of where we were and what God did and now where we can be in Christ. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll work our way back through. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them." And it's beautiful just to, to think about these truths. A lot yes. to chew on here. So it begins with the bad news. Um, and this is true so many times when the gospel is being presented. The word gospel simply means good news. We yep. talked about that, especially going through the book of Mark. You have to start with the bad news. You're not going to appreciate the good news until you really wrap your mind around and spend some time sitting, thinking about how bad things were. Yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. Um, a friend of ours, he's put it this way: um, If you were just a normal, healthy person, and uh, someone came up to you and was like, "Would you like to undergo a treatment that makes you lose all your hair and makes you really, really sick, and for several weeks you will have to endure through that?" You'd be like, "Well, no, no, I don't want to go through that whatsoever." Well, what if they then informed you you have cancer and this is the only treatment that's going to work? Well, now that treatment starts to sound a whole lot better. You, you can't appreciate the good news that there's a solution until you understand the bad news and understand the situation that you're in. And I'll just say, as I as we reflect on verses 1 through 3 here, it could have been really easy for Paul to have just stopped writing right there. If God hadn't have intervened, as we'll talk about in verses 4 through 7, it would have been every right of God to not intervene because it was our fault. We were the ones who sinned. Those were the choices that we made. And so as we reflect on these verses, just realize 
the the weight of sin and what I have done. Mm-hmm. And, and the way he describes it here, I mean, verses one through three are a bleak, hopeless picture. It begins by saying, and you were dead. I mean, we were dead. We were spiritually separated, cut mm-hmm. off from God. Um, the idea of death is the idea of separation. When we die physically, our body and spirit separates. Spiritual death is where we are separated from God. And there is no more terrifying state to be in than being dead spiritually. And so that was how he begins. You were dead. Okay, well, how did we die? Was it our fault or was it someone else that like mugged us? You know, like what happened? And he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Mm-hmm. It's really important here to remember the bad news is about something that we have done. Right. The good news is about something God has done. Yes, exactly. And so to describe what we have done, he kind of uses three different descriptions of it. What we were following. Right. And the first thing he talks about is we, we were walking according to the course of this world. And uh, when, whenever I think of a course, I always think of like like an obstacle course or, you know, something like a, a course that you would go on or a course that you would drive on. And if you just imagine how the rest of the world lives, this is phrasing it to say you were just like all of them. You, yeah. you were walking with whatever the world was doing. You were walking in their course. Yeah. And I think like. I think of like a river, you know, it's like oh, that's the, a helpful, the river yeah. is coursing through the countryside. It's like, you're just going that, with the flow. Yeah, that's more you're, poetic. You're following yeah. the course of the world, um, the people around you. Um, then he says you are following, the, the ESV says here, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Yeah, that's an interesting phrase. What do you think that's talking about? It seems to be talking about Satan. Yeah. Um, but it's really fascinating, the, the term that's used here, the prince of the power of the air. Yeah, when you hear of Satan, you don't ever think, why would you wouldn't put him in terms of a prince? You know, that's that's not <laughs> what you would put there. There is times where Jesus will talk about uh, him as a ruler, though. He'll say, "Now the ruler of this world mm-hmm. is is thrown down," yeah. and so there is a sense in which the world, this realm, belongs to God. You know, this is my Father's world, but there's another sense in which, right now, in its present broken state. That Satan is the prince of this world. Mm-hmm. He holds sway. He holds in influence. Authority in some ways. Yeah, over a lot of what happens here. He is not the ultimate power and the ultimate influence. It is still ultimately God's world. But because of sin and death, he holds a lot of power in this world. And so the prince of the power of the air, I think, is really just emphasizing you were following the evil spiritual influences well, that are ruling in the world. And when you look out in the world, you see overwhelmingly an amount of people who are following Satan. And it's kind of what's in the air. It's what everyone else is doing. So it can be really easy to just breathe that in and go along with it. Yeah. And what's interesting here is when people are living in sin, when we were living in sin, we often think of that as freedom. We think of that as being free from authority. I don't want God's rules. I don't want that oppressive set of regulations. It just stifles the way I want to live my life. I want to be free from that. Here's the thing. If we are not submitting to God, we're submitting to some other power. Mm -hmm. Even to ourselves, sin is, is slavery. Sin is oppressive. And we think it promises freedom, but it really is submitting and following 
something else. It's just another set of rules, another set of, of slavery, another kind of slavery than being slaves to the benevolent master, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we become slaves to Satan, who hates even the people that submit to him. Yeah. Um, and he's oppressive. One of the things Jesus will promise is that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I mean, man, in comparison to the slavery and bondage that sin has, Jesus is easy. I mean, he's light, he's understanding, he's patient with us. It's a pleasant thing to be able to follow him. And he'll talk more about that in just a minute. And then this last one he uses in verse 2, he talks about the third thing we're following after, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That phrase is interesting because there are different kinds of spirits at work in the world. We don't always know the specifics about that. But um, we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told to bear the fruit of God's Spirit and that God's Spirit is at work in us. But God's Holy Spirit is not the only spirit at work. Here, there are another kind of spirit, and I don't believe this is talking about like a demon possession or something forcing you against your will. But when you're following the course of the world and you're following the will of the prince of the power of the air, you're allowing another kind of spirit to work in you and to make you a son or daughter of disobedience. Um, you know, you are the child of the one that you imitate. And so he's saying, you're either going to let God's spirit work in you or you're going to let some other spirit work in you. And you will. it'll bear two very different kinds of fruit depending on what spirit you're allowing to work in your life. Yeah, exactly. So then in verse 3, he has a, a kind of a few more things to talk about in terms of how we were walking. Uh, among them, we too were all formerly living in the lusts of our flesh, which I've never really, um, until this passage, thought about just, just the idea that we all have these different struggles. There's nothing specific he's talking about here, but we all have our own particular lust that our flesh wants. And so I appreciate kind of his vagueness here because you can fill in the blank depending on who you are and what you struggle with here. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were living for. That, that's what we were walking in, whatever my flesh personally wanted. Yeah. And he describes, you know, the passions of our flesh and then carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What happens when we don't submit to God is we end up submitting to the fickle, um, you know, just we're tossed to and fro by the things that our body and our mind want, which is one thing one moment and another thing the next. And, and it becomes, again, a form of slavery to us that we, we all know what this means because we all struggle. Um, broken as we are by sin, we crave all kinds of things that we should not want, uh, but we do. And when we give in to those lusts, those passions, those desires, it leads us in all sorts of terrible directions and bears terrible fruit in our life. I mean, when we give, one of the worst things that can happen to us is for us to just give our body and mind whatever it wants right. because it will, it will destroy us. And one of the things Satan will fool us into thinking is that that sin is going to fill us up. Mm-hmm. But it's really just going to leave us empty and unsatisfied no matter how much we go back to it. And that creates in us, I think, a certain amount of anger and a certain amount of wrath, which is why he, I think, naturally says, you've become children of wrath, or you were by nature children of wrath. 
Because there's just that unsatisfaction that comes from living a life where you're indulging in sin and you just kind of become an angry person because you're looking for something better, but you keep going to the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So I think that might be some of the connection there. And even as the rest, they're, they're, the world is living this way. Yeah, mine says, like the rest of mankind okay. su- supplies that, which it goes back yeah. to following the course of this world. Yeah, um, We can see this all over the place in the world around us. And we can see it in our own past. Uh, any of us who are Christians can all look back to a time in our life where this described us. And it's the story of every human being. Right. It's the story of everyone who struggles with sin and is in a sinful world. Um, we all choose to sin at some point. Uh, it's not that sin came up in a dark alley and mugged us at some point, but it is that we chose to go along with the sin in the world. Um, it started with Adam and spread because all sinned. And um, what a bleak world this would be if this ended with verse 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to sit in verses 1 through 3 and to, to never forget where we've come from. Um, those of us who are Christians, who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes it's easy to forget um, where we were when God found us. Well, and I'll say one other reason why this is so important for us to think about and remember is not only does it help us appreciate the grace that God has shown us, but it also helps us feel some urgency to go and get our loved ones out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to reflect on these verses every now and then, because it restokes that fire in me that there are other people that I love and know who are living like this and who are miserable and they need to hear the gospel message. And so let this also motivate us to be evangelistic and to get out and tell others about, but God, what he goes on to do. And so that, that leads us into verses four through seven. Yeah, that is right. So verse four, uh, those first two words are just a breath of fresh air after this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that's an appropriate phrase after but God, being rich in mercy. Um, I love that idea. Someone being rich, obviously, they have a lot. They have more than enough. And that's the word Paul chooses to use to describe how much mercy God has. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the sins of the entire world... (laughs) It's a lot of mercy. It's a lot of mercy. And uh, this goes back to our Sermon on the Mount study where we were talking about blessed are the merciful and we looked at that example in Matthew chapter 18. The parallel being sin is this unamountable amount of debt that someone has accrued. And God, because he's so rich in his mercy, is able to forgive that sin. Mm -hmm. But only because of Jesus Christ. Because he was willing to give up his one and only son, for us. And that really describes his great love with which he loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The emphasis in that passage is that's the thing he loved. That was the, that was his one thing that he just loved tremendously, but he loved us so much he was willing to give up the thing that he loved. 
right. And that's what's being described in this verse. His great love with which he loved us is demonstrated through his giving of his only son. That's right. And what's amazing is when he did that. In mm-hmm. verse 5, we were still dead. Yeah, we were horrible. <laughs> we were still walking in all the things that it describes in verses 1 through 3. It's hard. It's a lot easier to love someone when they're already showing some signs of uh, doing good, um, when when they're showing some kindness, showing some hope. Um, But God loved us and showed mercy to us when we had shown zero sign of response or progress toward him. Mm -hmm. And that's just helpful for us to know that's the kind of love that reached out to us. It was not a love that was conditional. Like, well, if you change first, then I will show this love. No, we were still dead. We were still far from God. I mean, Romans 5, uh, in in that whole paragraph, um, starting around verse 6 and following, it is just amazing that we were still weak. We were helpless. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. And that's when... He demonstrated his love and sent Jesus to die for us when we were dead. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this section is it's described in terms of a resurrection. Yes. Jesus was dead and God raised Jesus from the dead. Of course, he was not dead in sin. He he was killed by our sin in a sense. Right. Um, He bore the penalty for us. But then God raised him from the dead. But God was still able to raise him up. And the parallel doesn't end there. There's a lot of hope in the resurrection of Jesus because we too can be resurrected. It demonstrates the power that God had. If God can resurrect Jesus, he can resurrect me too. And that's what Paul is trying to point out to us. He made us alive together with Christ. It's actually interesting. The CSB here says in verse 5, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. I think it's cool that he does go ahead, or they go ahead and couple both resurrections together there in Mm -hmm. verse 5. But um, Paul reminds them at the end of this verse, depending on which translation you're reading from, mine is a parenthetical, Stevens has a hyphen, but Paul's point he just stops to say is, by grace you have been saved. You have to understand this is nothing that you could have done. This was purely by the rich grace of God. The bad news is what we have done. Yes. The good news is what God has done. Yeah. But God. And one thing I want us to notice, if you guys remember, um, in the last episode, we talked about God's great power mm. in Paul's prayer. He wants the eyes of our heart to be opened to his power that he worked in Christ. But I want you to notice this. Ephesians 1, verse 20. His great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says almost the exact same thing about us here. In verse 6, it says, And he raised, this is chapter 2, verse 6, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, we're not the ones, uh, you know, ruling over all over the world. Uh, in this sense, but we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's not just like he took us from being dead and like made us like the lowest rung of the ladder, but he raised us up. And there's a sense in which we sit with Christ. We've been exalted to this great position. Again, not because of anything we did to deserve it, but when we respond in faith, God's grace not only 
brings us back to like the lowest level, but we are brought up to this glorified state to be with Christ in the heavenly places. It's just mind-blowing to think about what God has lavished on us in Christ. And again, this is what chapter one was all about, was these spiritual blessings that we've been given in Christ. And it's hard for us. You can't overemphasize the amount of grace that God showered on us and poured out when he raised us from the dead. I think this idea of the resurrection is so important because again, when we look back in our life, we can say like, I was dead. I was totally um, just wallowing in my sins and the things in which I was walking. But when we're buried with Christ in baptism and we rise to walk, there's this resurrection. There's a spiritual resurrection that happens that we then need to walk in. And this is Romans chapter six is the the whole picture of like, you died to sin, don't keep walking in it. But I love that description of resurrection here. And this is just so counter what we would expect here on the earth and in the world. I mean, I just think about if a president, you know, and this has happened in history, someone makes an attempt on his life, you know, and that guy somehow lives through that experience. And the president even comes out and says, you know what? I forgive that guy. I recognize maybe he had something going on and he just made a foolish decision. It'd be another thing for the president to say, I forgive him and I'm going to put him on my staff. You know, <laughs> right, like, yeah. just like, what? And you'd be like, what are you doing? But that's exactly, that's the amount of forgiveness that God is willing to offer us because he knows we can make the changes through him, through Jesus. And so it's just so counter what we would imagine God to do or anyone to do in our own human thinking. But it blows my mind that we have the ability to not only be forgiven, but then to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. It also says in verse 7 that this was done and it'll be done in the ages to come so that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This isn't something that just happened in that day and age and would just forgive the people then and there. This is going to be something that goes on into the ages to come so that many more can come to God in the future. And that really reminds me of what Peter said when we went through the book of Acts after he told them all to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 2.39, Peter said, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This is something that is for here and now, but also for the future. That's how lasting and impactful the cross was. Mm-hmm. It's forever. Yes. And all of this is to hit to God's glory. Yes. Um, this is not something we did. And so this last section of uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, looking at verses 8 through 10, he just stops and is like, okay, you, you need to appreciate how how little, how, how nothing you did <laughs> uh, can deserve what God gave to you. In verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm-hmm. We are all charity cases. Yes. We all come to God on spiritual welfare. We did not earn it. We could not deserve it. We were dead. We we were guilty. We were rebellious. And God did this for us in Christ. Now, he does say there's a response of faith that he expects from us. Um, God doesn't save every single person who's been lost in sin, but it's those who respond in faith to him. There is a condition, but that condition earns us nothing. Yeah. Faith is just us putting our trust in God 
and obediently following him. But man, nothing we do, no response on our part, even if it is something that God wants from us and requires of us, no response, not faith or repentance or confession or baptism or anything that God wants us to do is going to forgive one sin that we've ever committed. That is God's grace. That is his unmerited favor toward us in Jesus. And so there's no boasting. Yeah. None of us can come to God and say, boy, God's sure lucky to have me. Look at, look at what I've done. Right. No, what I've done has made a mess of everything. And what God has done has fixed it. I love at the end of verse 8, it describes it as a gift, being a gift of God. Because when we see something as a gift, the way we treat that gift often will reflect on how we think of the person who gave us that gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for I think about someone giving me a gift, if I'm rough on that gift and I just kind of throw it around, it, it really shows that I don't value it. I don't really care about it. And I really don't care about them because they spent time and energy giving that to me. And so when you think about this idea of there being a gift from God, we need to value that gift and at the very least have faith in God as he's asking us to, to show him our appreciation to him and be motivated by his grace of that gift so that we will do better in our life and in our walk with him. Mm-hmm. And so I just appreciate that that small wording at the end of verse 8. It's a gift of God, by the way. This is something he gave you, so value it. Yes. And this, this section, there, there's sometimes a lot of tension between these different ideas because he talks about works and he talks about grace and faith. And I think it's important for us to kind of separate out these different ideas. So, so God's grace is what saves us in verse 8. By grace, you have been saved. It is only because God has chosen to show mercy on us, to show mercy to us that we have, are able to be rescued from the results of our sin. But it does say by grace through faith. And faith is something that is a choice that God gives to us. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to believe in what God did through him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to walk in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That word faith is kind of interesting because like it can mean faith or faithfulness, uh, depending on the context. And that's... um. What God expects from us is, is it's not unconditional. It's not um, something that just God forces upon anyone, but that God says, here, I've put this before you. If you'll respond in faith toward me, all this is free for you to take. Yeah. It is a gift of my grace. It's important to realize faith is something that is built upon. It is not blind, but it is something that we are able, we're able to look back on what God has done for us. And then we apply whatever God did for us in the past in our current situation, even if it's something we've not been through before. And even though whatever that thing is, is unfamiliar to us, we know God delivered me back there. He can deliver me here as well. That's the idea of building our trust and building our faith in the Lord. Um, And again, that is not saving us. God is still the one doing the saving. He's the one that delivered us in the past. And I'm saying he's going to deliver me here. And so that's not anything like me trying to say I'm saving myself. It's still putting the trust and faith in the Lord. That's right. That's why when he says it's not a result of works. Yeah. There's just different ways we can think about what we do. Does God expect us to do what's right? But yes, of course. It was our own sinful works that got us in this mess in the first place. But 
nothing that we do, whether it's meeting a condition of faith or repentance or whatever, um, is going to merit mm-hmm. or make us deserve. We don't, we're not trying to, I think some people have in their minds when they think of salvation, this giant scale in their minds. And they think, well, on this side of the scale, I've got all my sins. And every time I sin, it puts another weight on that side of the scale. And every time I do something good, it puts a weight on that other end of the scale. And at some point, I need, I need to stop doing the bad stuff. Stop putting weight on that negative end of the scale. And just keep putting weight on the good end by doing good deeds, good works. Do good, do good, do good. And at some point, ding, the scale will tip. Mm-hmm. And now I'm saved. That is being saved by works. Yeah. And that is not a gift. That is you earning it and paying off your sins by doing good stuff. And that is the most anti-biblical idea right. you can have. Another way I've heard it put and even been guilty of thinking myself is if I just check all these right boxes. If, if, I, if I go through scripture and I make a list of all the boxes that I need to check. And once I've checked all that, ding, you know, here, I've, yep. I've hit it. <laughs> I turn in my punch card and God gives me what I deserve. And that's not a helpful way to think about it at all because it's, it's not anything you did. It is the grace of God. He did not have to forgive you. That's right. Um, God doesn't owe or, or you don't earn anything from God. And that's an exhausting way to live. Yes. Because if we think of salvation in terms of works, that my salvation is dependent on my level of performance, we're always going to be like, oh, I hope I'm still safe. I hope I'm still safe. Like, I got to keep. No. Are we going to be motivated to do good works because God has saved us? Yes. But we have to remember God's grace. Mm-hmm. Because if we think of it in the terms of that big scale or, you know, that checkbox, we're always going to be living in this dire fear of like, oh, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? And, and never resting and saying, no, God has saved me. And yes, I, when I see sin in my life, I am repenting of that sin. I'm not just abusing God's grace and living however I want and thinking, well, God's going to pay the bill. No, I'm repenting. I'm doing the hard work of discipleship. I'm denying myself, taking up my cross, following Jesus. But ultimately, I know that it's not my perfection. It's mm-hmm. not the completeness of what I'm doing, my works, that's going to save me in the right. end. It is going, no one's going to heaven <laughs> because they earned it. And here's the cool thing. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. Because we are so overwhelmed and motivated by the amount of grace that God has shown us, we began to do good works for him and through him and in him. Out of gratitude. Exactly. And so God, in a way, is working through us because of what he did for us. And I don't think we always have that that mindset with when we're doing good works, that it's God working through us. It's not anything you're doing because you're doing it because of the grace God showed, has shown you. And that's what you're being motivated by. And all this word workmanship, because basically what God has done is he's rummaged through the garbage heap mm-hmm. <laughs> that we put ourselves in and he's picked us out of that garbage heap. And now he has completely remade us. Yes. And created us in Christ Jesus. There's several passages in the New Testament that talk about us being recreated. Mm-hmm. I really like Second uh, Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yes. And that's what's happened. is We were created pure and holy 
we wrecked our lives with sin and now God is restoring us, redeeming us, recreating us. And now we are his workmanship. Yeah. I love that. Like if you go in like an old house and like you look at like the railing or like the woodwork and you're like, look at this workmanship. Look at this craftsmanship. Yeah. A wonderful woodworker did that. Uh-huh. Look at that. And what people are supposed to see in us as Christians is like, wow, this thing was garbage last time I saw uh-huh. it. And like, yep. look at what God has crafted out of something that was totally destroyed. And what's cool, uh, I'll say this, in the NIV, it says we're God's handiwork. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of, I like that yeah. idea. Because it really does illustrate that, you know, you just have an old pile of wood somewhere and some guy, look at my handiwork, look at what I did. But the second thing I was going to say about this is the world is also going to be able to look at us. After we've, you know, been reborn, we've been baptized, we've been raised, we have been walking with Christ. They're going to be able to look at us and say, that guy looks different. He's acting different. He's talking differently. He is just a different person. And there might come a time where they ask, what, what's gotten into you? You know, why, why are you acting that way? You know what we get to say? I'm God's handiwork. I am his workmanship. He has produced a change in me that you're now able to see. And I want to share with you why. And that's just so cool to think about that the Lord has done that with us. And it's an opportunity for evangelism to talk to others about what God can also do to them and through them. So uh, I love just how many different working parks, uh, no pun intended, are, are going on here in verse 10. Yes. We are all supposed to be walking advertisements for what God can do with broken, sinful people. Um, that's the idea, being his handiwork, yeah. being his craftsmanship. And, um, and God it says God prepared these works beforehand so that we should walk in yeah. them. God has always wanted a people who would be zealous for good works. I love Titus chapter 2 on that. Um, But he says, you have been created not to walk in the way you used to walk. I like how walking bookends this section. At the very beginning, back in verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following Mm -hmm. these different things. And here at the end, he says, God has now recreated you for good works so that you should walk in them. Mm -hmm. You used to walk this way, now turn that around and walk in these good works. These Be God's craftsmanship. Be someone who is shining their light in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Yeah, and keep looking for this theme of walking. Uh, this will be something Paul circles back around to in chapter 4. Um, so just keep an eye out for that as well. Um, Stephen, you got anything else today? I think that's it. This is such a great text to talk about. I still remember the first study I was in where like this just jumped off the page yeah. to me. And I hope this episode has helped it jump off the page yeah. for you too. So your mind might already be flooding with applications and different ways you want to live now after reading this. And that's cool because right after this, Paul's going to get into some more specifics. Okay, since all of this is true, since God saved you, that by necessity joins you with other people people that might look different from you and talk different from you. And so that'll be what he gets into, Lord willing, in the next section, that Christ was able to unite two groups of people who before wouldn't have been united. Yeah. I've heard this described as verses 1 through 10 is our new life individually. And the next section, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, is our new life together. I like that. In Christ. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next time. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, please subscribe. Leave a rating or a review. 
Um, if you'd like to study more with us, we'd love to study like this with you. Uh, contact us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.